0: Okay, I'll try. (laughs) Ooh, eh, I want to work less, but never retire. (laughs) If I count my yoga practice in the ready in the morning, then it's like two hours. Um, I recall a time that my dad called out my name in front of 4,000 people standing silent at a ceremony of a graduation. That was horrible. (laughs) Purple. (sighs) Get my best ideas during my shower in the morning. I try not to test it. I try to sleep more. Ooh, um, Trends. I usually don't like trends, but you know, high intent campaign focus is something that I hear a lot in the last quarter and it's misused often. So we can talk about it later. I'd get in trouble with my husband if I don't say Tel Aviv so that'd be it (laughs) neither mistake I think uh, it would be waiting too long to start my own business I do yoga. One. I'm working on myself to stop jumping into people's words, which is in Israeli culture sort of normal, but with others, it's terrible. I think it's a trusting my gut feeling. It never lies. It usually doesn't lie. <laughs> what? Ooh. Um, I haven't watched Netflix in a while, but the the one thing that comes to my mind that I really absolutely loved was a series by Michael Pollan called Cooked, a short series, gorgeous, gorgeous series. Highly recommended, especially to people who love cooking. Okay. okay, this is a very, very big question, but I'll I'll try to make it like uh, useful comments about this, um, because to teach the whole theory we would need you know a very long time, but. Um, the fundamentals are that you need to really understand your customer journey. That's a, I'm sure everybody knows that they need to understand it. The thing is that not many um, companies that I work with, and usually we work with a B2B tech startups, not early stage necessarily. When When I say startups, I refer to companies who are looking for hyper growth are in growth mode so we work with companies that are in more of the beginning stages round a but also companies that are also later on already with a highly developed marketing funnel and they need optimization and what's common to 90 percent of the companies that i come across is that the marketers that we work with They understand the customer journey, they understand the bottom of the funnel well, and they don't understand very well the top of the funnel. And the reason for this is because usually the team has experience talking to people who are reaching out to them, who are getting in front of them. So it's easy to get a good understanding of what people who are in the bottom of the funnel, what their worldview is, because they talk to a lot of these. They interact with them extensively, so they understand their worldview. What they often don't understand is what is the worldview of all the people who are not yet in their funnel, not yet aware of them, not yet at at, at all um, looking for solutions in their space. And that is an important part of the journey that you need to figure out. You need to get into the mindset of these people in order to bring more people into your funnel. And, And that's a challenge. And one of the reasons why it's a very big challenge for B two B technology companies is that, unfortunately, I'm I'm saying that a majority of the marketers uh, that we meet are not highly technical. in the, In the they're, they're not necessarily very intimately um, conversing with their target audience because often the target audience would be highly technical people, a CISO or a chief architect of systems or uh, some very, very educated professional where you're selling to them the technology. And the marketers are not the ones leading the conversation with those. So they often don't have a deep understanding of the journey. So the first thing that we suggest to them to do when we start working with them um, is get in front of the prospects, the the targeted personas. And if they need help in diving into a deep conversation with these people, we suggest to them to um, combine arms with their product management team and really engage in what we call audience insight research so that they understand the buying journey from top to bottom. And understanding, I mean, understanding the worldview of the people that they want to sell to. And only after you really understand their worldview, then you can uh, generate uh, campaigns and content assets that will really appeal to them. So um, another reason that um, this is a big, big challenge is that... um, Often marketers today are under a lot of stress to deliver the results quickly, quickly. And companies and their management sometimes uh, underestimate the value of these uh, re- of this research stage. So they're in a hurry. They push them to run campaigns, run campaigns. And uh, I cannot overstate the importance of doing this audience research to understand the worldview of the personas. So that's the most important part of the beginning. um first of all I, I talk mainly about B2B because this is my uh, this has been my uh, craft for the last 30 years of my life and uh, it applies especially to B2B because um, in B2B if if you're selling to um software, Programmers and you are personally not a software programmer. You will never get into their mindset if you don't interview a lot of them intimately, or or at least have somebody else in your company interview them intimately and understand their worldview. So of course it applies to B two B. Starting a business with paid based on paid, um, I I have not yet come across a company that uh, worked this way and succeeded so I don't want to say that it never exists the scenario I'm sure it might exist but the types of companies that I work with which are usually companies who are developing technology and selling it to enterprises those companies if they start with only a, a paid approach which some of them initiate that sometimes in the beginning and it makes sense to do some of that in the beginning of course but if they base their main strategy on that just think this is something that another competitor if you're in a good space you'll have competitors right so your competitors will see what you're advertising if they have deeper pockets than you they'll bid more so they'll win the traffic they'll win the they'll capture the demand better than you because they, they have deeper pockets, more money they pour at it. Then you start a bidding game. You each bid against each other. And there's no room for huge ramp up this way. You can only, this, this is not a great way to do, to build a business. So if I were an investor, I wouldn't invest in such a company. So that's why, and and, and startups are usually smart. They know that. So they never... At least the companies that I work with, I never met a company that does only that. Although a paid acquisition is really effective in and stu- learning fast, so sometimes it's really the best tactic to apply when you want to learn some things really, really quickly. <laughs> okay, so um. I'm biased to what I'm seeing in the last couple of months, a lot of. So I'll I'll talk about that, especially because uh, you know we're now seeing companies they go through this phase of uh, um, uncertainty and uh, a mode of uh, a lot of budgets being reduced and um, HR being uh, reorganized or uh, cut down. So this is the environment. And it just, um, of course, puts more pressure on the CMO to bring results fast. Okay, so number one most common mistake that I see a lot of right now recently is that companies come to us and they say, okay, we want to focus on high intent uh, prospects. Meaning, don't bring me the top of the funnel. I don't want to now... Put a lot of effort into demand generation. Eh, I want to bring me the high intent. High intent means people who are actually ready to buy because I need to close deals really fast. That's the pressure that the CMO is under right now more than ever, more than in years in in, in the last three years. And the mistake here is that the if nowadays you put more of your efforts into demand capture, capturing high intent, you are, again, you're in a bidding war with other companies who are cap- trying to capture the same demand. And you can only be as successful as, uh, uh, as the amount of people who are looking for your thing. Uh, and that is often, and now when, when the market is uh, in decline all over, the overall demand is is down a little bit. Or sometimes a lot. So the whole demand is short, is, is uh, smaller. Companies are hysterically bidding around it. And um, there's no way to really grow. The, the, the right way to do it is to invest in things that are going to differentiate you. And that are going to be a little bit different than what others are doing. And creating new demand. And creating new demand, in that sense, you need to be um, agile, creative, go out and uh, seek ways to get in front of new people, get in front of them through new ideas that you maybe didn't use before, use triggers of interest um, that are original. And that's where innovation comes in, and innovation is super important. So that's like one very, very common Mistake that I see uh, companies doing, um, and another mistake is that um, they reach out to people too quickly. So <laughs> they they run a campaign, they get people to sign up uh, on a a lead form uh, because they downloaded a, an ebook or they uh, used a calculator or they. Uh, signed up for a webinar. And so right after the person fills in their details, the SDR team jumps on them and calls them. That is often a way to burn out your your list. So because just think of yourself, like listeners would think of their, themselves, if they uh, downloaded uh, an ebook, that doesn't mean they want the salesperson to call them <laughs> or to even reach out to them. So again, I'm circling back to the You know, you need to invest more in nurturing and bringing value to your audience, so that they learn to that they appreciate your brand more. And people today more and more rely on peers that uh, recommend to them more than before. The trust issue today is more uh, important than it was before. Now, in, in times of uncertainty, people really want to stick to highly trusted brands. So if you're a brand that's not familiar and somebody just came across your asset and downloaded it, it doesn't mean they trust you yet. Remember that they don't trust you yet. So don't burn them by reaching out to them too early. So that's another very, very common mistake. Um, And also the, the, uh, another very, very common mistake is that they don't invest enough in talking to clients. That, that's the most common mistake of the marketers, because it's so difficult for them. In, in, in the areas that I work in, the, if you're selling technology, the marketer needs to be very educated on the technology, and sometimes they're not. So my advice to them in this case would be team up with your product manager, who will also want these insights, and go talk to customers together. That's my, my advice. Um, a lot of people have conceptions about what's right and wrong. Um, I'll tell you an example. Um, people uh, have been taught in the last few years that everything they do needs to be data-oriented, data-driven. You need to, all your decisions need to be um, uh, all data-based, all all decisions. And, and I'm a very, you know, uh, Analytic person, I love uh, looking at the data, learning everything we can from the data, uh, using AI tools where you can analytic tools, BI tools. It's great, but especially in B two B, when you uh, are looking at very niche audiences, the the data that you have is is uh, very limited. It's limited to uh, it's it's not big data. It's small. Think of come. Most of our clients, they're marketing to a group of very, very niche professionals. And those might be, you know, a group all over the world of 300 people, or it might be all over the world, a thousand people of this sort. And if if you want to get in front of uh, such people, it takes a lot of time to get in front of the majority of these people. And so if you try to be data-driven about the, every decision you make in marketing, you're going to miss out on opportunities to impact some really, really influential people quickly. Although your data doesn't show that this is a, this is a good sign. So I'm, I'm maybe I'll connect to the item that the, you asked me in the first part, you asked me about what's the tool that the, that the, I, I most important. And I said to my, my gut feeling, trust my gut. And I think I'd, I'd apply it here also where, if you're um if you understand your market and your audience and you are um talking to them then um i think um qualitative insight is uh underrated so the, the so to answer your question back simply the mistake people make which uh, is is uh, um The thing that people are, yeah, what you asked about uh, something that people think is a mistake, which I think it's not, it is to make decisions, even if you don't have the data, that, that is, uh, that is not a mistake because in the early stages, sorry, go ahead. In the early stages of companies, especially in B2B, they don't have the massive data because they're getting in front of a few people. And the the challenge in the beginning is to recruit the early adopters. And even if after you recruited a few early adopters as your clients, you're now trying to get the next circle of people and it's not masses. So if you run a campaign and you got just a, a handful of people responding to your campaign on LinkedIn, for example, it might seem to you like it's a you know it's you're not getting the roi because it costs you four hundred dollars for a for a a, a a conversion but what you are you might be identifying and not through the data but through qualitative identification is that some really interesting people are responding to you in some way or you got. A phone call like two days after you posted that on LinkedIn from somebody super important that told you that they heard from somebody else on your LinkedIn network that they said something about you. And that might be a signal that's really um, insightful. So in the early stages, before you have the more massive data, those are invaluable cues that you need to tune into. I don't want to say that most make these mistakes because I want to say, you know, the successful companies are getting it right, okay? So for sure, some companies are are doing some something smart. But uh, unfortunately, very often, I, I, I come across this uh, um, behavior of CMOs because they're un- under such pressure, and especially lately, that uh, they want to launch campaigns, uh paid campaigns for example and they run it for a few days they 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 don't want to spend spend so much money because each uh, conversion might cost as much as a few hundred dollars even a conversion on linked you know if for example i have customers in the space of cybersecurity who are looking seeking uh, cso's or companies who are selling like uh, software elements to chief software architect in, you know, these important companies, big companies. So those are uh, personas that are very expensive to to interact with through paid campaigns. So if you run a campaign and after a few days, you make the decision that it's not working, it's, uh, it's very often too, it's premature decision because you need to give it time to uh to run its course because it takes time for some network effects to happen behind the scenes now usually marketers of the CMOs they they don't have the patience to wait and and wait for enough time until you gather enough uh clicks to really draw some more uh, reliable decisions they they don't have the patience so uh, in that case, it's it's uh, it's really problematic. In that case, we um, we suggest to them to decide what's the minimum number of engagements that we need in order to take a good decision. So then we tell them, okay, we need at least uh, 50 engagements to decide if this is good. So let's wait as many days as needed until we get the 50 engagements, and then we decide if this is good. Um of course uh, I'm not hundred percent objective on this, <laughs> but but uh, I will say this uh quite objectively that it really depends on, on the company um and the the people that are on the in the company. So um if if somebody is managing marketing and uh, they first need to look at their uh Resources their their team their existing team, and see what are the strengths that are existing in their team. Now, if it's a um, if it's a startup, usually they don't have a huge team, and uh, they they start out with just one, two, three, just a few people. So, a few people can't cover all the professions, all the expertise needed in in marketing, and in that case. It makes a lot of sense for uh, the startup to hire uh, outsourced resources to cover specialized areas where they're not well covered within the company. Uh, for the long term, like for more advanced companies that have bigger teams, I still find that in uh, niches, it's very often the best the best. Uh, the best Result will be with outsourced to help with the uh, agencies, and the reason is that I'm seeing lately a lot of uh, companies who really struggle to hire talent in specific uh, marketing uh, professions, um, finding people. So, so finding someone who's super um, knowledgeable, experienced in. SEO, in PPC, in creating content of specific sort, in um, people who are highly um, proficient in specific uh, um, social channels and so on. Finding that talent is, is difficult because professionals, professionals that are really, really good, they often don't want to work for one company. They prefer the variety of companies to work for. And I know that uh, in in my company, even uh, we have people that are experts in different fields that are working for Penguin. And we also have a a circle of of freelancers that are experts in, in different things that we have access to these people. We work with them regularly. And these are people who a startup would love to hire, but they could never hire them. So uh, I think there's different reasons to go for an agency, and, and it's very individual for 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 the company. Of course, for the very core strategic functions, I I would, uh, you know, if I were now a CMO of a, of a startup, of a B2B startup, some functions I would want to be in-house for sure. Um, product marketing, for example, is often you need somebody in-house that's in the depth of the understanding of your product and other areas, as you grow, you decide what are the areas that are really strategic for you. And, and those are the areas where you, you need in-house uh, um, people, but uh, there's pros and cons, of course. So it, it really depends what's strategic to you, but um, I think that um uh, if a company identifies someone who can really be a a great evangelist for them, whether they write themselves or they brief others, but an evangelist who can really um, carry the leadership role for the, the, the content marketing, then that is essential and strategic. Not all companies and startups, especially, have the privilege of identifying such a person and having them in-house it's a challenge and it's an important one but i mean that's one of the functions that i would put on the top of the list for in-house this is usually also (laughs) this also depends sorry that most of my answers is depends but um here here's an, another um um mistake that is often uh, taken by startups in the beginning of their journey in, as they're figuring out their um product market fit and as they're starting to build their marketing uh, funnels they often have some alternative uh, paths to that they are um considering and the most common mistake that I see in this sense is that they don't make a decision uh, on one way or another, but they decide to go both ways. Okay. Cause they don't want to, they're not sure which will be better. So they go both ways or sometimes even more than two ways, two different strategies or two different uh, segment focuses or two different products, whatever. And, the, the, the direct uh, result of that is that you're splitting all of your effort, all of your resources into two spears instead of one. So in some cases, it really makes sense to split into two because you have each of them individually has a really good business case and a, a good solid uh, strategy that can uh, that, that makes sense. But that is not the common case. The more common case that I encounter is where a company is keeping two alternative products and going with two spears because they're not sure which will be more successful and as a result they are dividing their efforts instead of taking everything that they have and focusing it on one main direction sometimes it is the right move because you 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 want to you know lower your risk you're not sure so for a while sometimes it's the right move to keep two products alive or two strategies alive for a while until you make the decision. But companies need to decide to understand that the, the result of this is that all of your efforts, including your marketing efforts are divided into two. And so it's, it's, it's a half power often. Now this relates to your question about branding. So if a company, has a brand and now they are, have two products, should they brand each product separately? The answer is it's better if they don't need to. It's much better if they don't need to. If both of the products can be all, you know, um, uh, marketed under the same brand, it's better because then all of your efforts are, you know, if, if you're, you're working towards a brand awareness, you don't want to divide the brand awareness into two brands. You prefer to, to put all of it into one brand. But some in some cases it, it doesn't make sense because the, let's say the two products are not complementing each other. They're even sometimes um, uh, damaging each other's brand because one is a, a low-end product, one is a high-end product, for example, and you don't want to um, uh, influence the the brand identity of one with the other. So sometimes you have to separate. But it's a uh, it's a privilege that the companies that are very well funded can have. Uh, not, not most startups shouldn't shouldn't go that path if they if they can. <laughs> um, I'm. I'm actually. First of all, I love what I do. I, I'm, consider myself a create. I'm an an engineer and also a creator, a creative person. So I'm guessing if I weren't a marketer, I would probably pursue other creative career, um maybe an architect, maybe an artist. Thank you very much. It was a huge pleasure.